chapter 25. Again, please, Leviticus chapter 25. And we're continuing on our uh, study here, uh, reminding ourselves how God uses the number seven in his word just to continually remind us that he has plans, okay, and that he continues to keep his plan. All right, uh, and so many people, even nowadays, it's the lucky number seven, right? It's, uh, uh, it is the number of perfection. It's something that's been understood for many of years, but that God has used the number seven in his word to remind us over and over and over that God makes promises and he keeps his promise. Okay, and I don't want to go ahead and, and rehearse everything we've talked about, but you know, God uses the foundation, the form of that word when he says it makes a promise. He says, I'm going to seven this deal. Okay, I'm going to make sure that you understand that this is a, a promise. It's concrete. There's nothing that's going to change. Okay, uh, so with that in mind, we're going to go for, through a few slides of, uh, of review, and then we're going to hit a few high points because I like, um, again, people will talk to me and say, you must be a religious person. Man, no, I'm not religious. But you're a pastor. Well, that's great. I'm not religious. Well, you've been a Christian your whole life. I'm not religious. I just believe God makes promises, and he never breaks his promises. So when you understand the word of God and what he has told us, and you realize that he wants a relationship with us every single day of our lives, every single moment of our lives, he has a plan for us, he wants to use us. When you understand that, and then you realize that when you see the promises that he has made, how many of you like when somebody makes you a promise? How many of you like when somebody breaks their promise? Okay, how many of you have ever made promises you broke? Okay, and how about, okay, so you say, well, never to anybody else. How many of you ever broke a promise to yourself? Okay, all of us, okay. Uh, talk about New Year's resolution. I think every single year we break promises to ourselves. Talk about diet. <clears throat> I think we all break promises to ourselves. Isn't it awesome to understand that there is actually a God in heaven, our heavenly Father who loves us, who never, ever, 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 ever breaks the promise that they're always true? So that's the thing we're going to look at today. Because of what we see here in Leviticus, it reminds us of some promises that he's given to you and I and to the children of Israel. All right, you with me? Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, again, it is a joy when we open up your word and we see that these laws, these instruction, these commandments that you had given to the children of Israel all the way back here with Moses, Lord, are just pictures of your eternal promises, your plan that you had structured since before you created this world. And Lord, I'm so glad. So Father, just help us as we review a few things and then remind ourselves of some amazing truths in your word. Be with my mind. Um, Lord, help it to present your word in a way that the Holy Spirit can teach us and uh, remind us of the things that are so important. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the year of Jubilee. Next slide. Go ahead. Okay, we have, oh, go back one. Okay, we have already seen that God uses the number seven to picture his plan of salvation. We had seen that laid out through the seven feasts that God had worked out. 
Okay, uh, it symbolizes his promise. We also see it illustrates God's plan for this universe. And uh, for those of you who were in uh, Revelation study, uh, we see that there is actually seven stages of earth. Okay, there are seven different stages of this earth. And you think, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, there was an earth that Adam and Eve was on that before the curse. There was an earth after the curse, before the flood. It was different. Okay, there's an earth now. Okay, so there are different stages. When you look at them biblically, there are seven different stages that God had put on this earth. And you go, I'm going to have to go study that. Good, go study that. Okay, you tell me what you find out. All right, next slide. Okay, we were looking in chapter 25 as a description of the sabbatical year. Okay, and the sabbatical year, again, is a seven-year period of time. It had to do with the land. Okay, it was not a picture of a religious thing where we had seen one of the Ten Commandments, right? Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. There are certain religious and uh, daily things you were supposed to accomplish on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath year, the sabbatical year, you just didn't plant or sow or reap. Okay, you let the land rest. And we talked about that last week. We still do that as farmers. That if you plant a crop so often, you need to rotate the crop because you need to let the land rest. God knew that. Keep going. Okay, remember the Sabbath day was about a holy convocation. The Sabbath year is just a picture of letting the land rest. And again, you want a great study on this aspect of rest? Go to Hebrews chapter 4 later and read it. Where God talks about that we are entering the Lord's rest. That he rested on the Sabbath because because he is picturing a rest for you and me, a rest for the children of Israel that's in the future. It's an amazing thing. Okay, so here we go. Next slide, maybe. All right, the first lesson that we learned last week, just as a reminder, is this means you needed to trust the Lord. Okay, if you were going to go, if you're a farmer and all the food that you get you grow and you decide that the Lord's told you one whole year you're not going to grow anything, that means you needed to trust the Lord that he was going to provide for your needs. Okay, and that's one of the things he was trying to teach the children of Israel. You need to take a break and not sow a reap in that year because you need to trust me. But it gets better. Hold on to that thought. The second thing we learned was that God owns everything anyway. Okay, and that we'll talk about that. There's a phrase that continues to come up in our study, and that is everything returns to its original owner. You remember that? So we get to the year of Jubilee, which we're going to look at in just a second. Seven sevens, and everything goes back to the original owner. So all of a sudden you own 20 acres of land, and you're in a hardship, and you're struggling, and you, want, you need funds, and you sell your land to a fellow Jew, and at that year of seven, that 49th year, it all goes back to you. All right, keep that in mind. So God owns it all anyway, and this was the bigger point for you and I. One of the greatest spiritual truths that we can learn is that we're not owners, we're managers. Okay? How many of you paid off your house already? All right, maybe an easier question. How many of you paid off your car already? You own it, okay? Uh, is that really yours? 
No, when it comes to the way people think in this world, yes, but it all belongs to God, doesn't it? What about these bodies? I was just teasing with, uh, uh, what do you call it, Bruce and Jim, about I've, I've got years of investment into this body. Okay, there's been a lot of meals put in here. Okay, and I say that teasingly, as a believer, we're bought with a price. We don't belong to our own selves. God owns everything. We're just managers. How about all the funds that you have? They belong to you or are they God's? God's, again, and when we remember that we're only using those things that belong to God, this is a great reality. And This is what he was trying to teach the children of Israel. He was trying to teach them that you think it's yours, but it's actually God's. It belongs to him. So that means when, if God says, take that seventh year off, I'm going to do it because it's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. And that's something that you and I need to realize every day. Our time, our health, our funds, everything that we have is God's. So, and we're going to look at servants here in a minute. Uh, some would look at this passage and describe it as slaves. Okay, if you are working in the master's house, you do what the master tells you, right? If you're in the master's kitchen, okay, and if you don't want to think slavery, think uh, some Disney princess, okay? Come on, let's make it a little softer around the edges. Don't go the roots direction. Go to the, you know, every Disney princess has all these servants, right? You know, Jeeves is running around or something, you know. We, the master, it all belongs to him. It's all his. All right, so I'm setting all this up because this is very important to understand this before we get to the next section. Because if we don't understand the idea of we're living in a borrowed life with borrowed things that belong to our Lord, our master, then the next part of it's going to be hard for us to understand. All right, so we get to this year of Jubilee. Okay, the year of Jubilee, after seven sabbatical years, after seven sevens, 49 years, is the 50th year, okay? It will be holy, it will be set apart, there will be two full years without sowing. Okay, now, I want to get to this, let's read it together, verse 8 through 13. All right, verses 8 through 13. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of seven Sabbaths, of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement. Shall thou make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the inhabitants thereof. There shall be jubilee unto you. And ye shall return every man unto his own possession. Ye shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall the fiftieth year be unto you. And ye shall not sow, neither shall ye reap that which groweth of itself, nor gather the grapes of thy vineyard undressed. For it is jubilee, it is holy unto you, Thou shalt eat the increase thereof of the field. In the year of Jubilee, ye shall return every man to his own possession. See it again? All right? So 
in this year of Jubilee, if you've made an exchange, if you sold something off for money, everything in the year of Jubilee goes back to you. Okay, if it was yours and your family's. Now, I think about this a lot. Um, my wife is into genealogies, and around here you'll notice even this uh, road over here is called Crane Road because a lot of the land right around this area was owned by the Crane family. Okay, it was their heritage. But down through the years, uh, it's been sold off to different families. How many of you got areas in your neighborhood that are like that? Uh, the, the, the whole valley used to be owned by a certain family, but little sections have been sold off. Okay, in the teaching with Israel is you may have sold it off, but in the 50th year, it all goes back to the original family. Okay, now keep that in mind. I, I hope when you hear when we talk about a family and we think about God, that God has a family. Okay, and things go back to the way they originally were designed to be with God's family. Okay, and again, I know I'm filling you a lot of information, but this is exciting to me. I love this. That, all, remember, all 12 tribes of Israel were given a certain piece of land in the promised land. When they got to a promised land, the tribe of Dan had this, the tribe of Asher had this, the tribe of Zebulun had that. They all had a different piece of land. And in the 50th year, the design was they all got their land back. Everything that was promised to them, all of their inheritance was returned unto them. They got what was coming to them, always in that 50th year. All right, you with me so far? Let's look at the next part. God would provide in abundance. Now, this is the awesome part. Look at verse 20. And if you shall say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? That's a good question, isn't it? Anybody out there? Okay, we're about to have a potluck downstairs. One thing we're good at at church, at this church, is eating. Okay, we'll have put together a little dinner. Um, the question is, if I'm not planting anything in the seventh year, what am I going to eat? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, that's the issue, is trusting the Lord. But look, it's not just for one year. Catch this. Verse 20. Behold, we shall not sow nor gather an increase. I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years. You say, oh, well, that's cool. God's going to give you three. Well, think about this for a minute. I just want you to uh, want to finish reading this. And... Ye shall sow in the eighth year and eat thereof the old fruit until the ninth year, until her fruits come, and thou shalt eat of the old store. Now, just to give you a concept, this is not so much of a biblical one, but I want to explain what this is saying. If you sow in the sixth year, you get food for the sixth year. But you don't sow for the seventh year, so you don't reap for the seventh year. So God has to provide enough in the sixth year to cover the seventh year. But you don't then sow until the beginning of the eighth year. And so the majority of the eighth year, you don't eat until you reap at the end of the eighth year. So God says, I got you covered. He says, in that sixth year, I'm going to give you enough for the seventh year and the eighth year. You talk about trust. We just were saying, well, man, that would be hard to trust God for one year's worth of food. You actually need to trust God to give you on that sixth year Enough for the seventh and the eighth year. 
You see what God's trying to point out to his people here? I'll provide. You just trust me. I will heap the blessings unto you if you just do what I'm telling you. And we talked last week about the fact that God had taken care of this with a Babylonian captivity that for 49, uh, 490 years they didn't do this, so God took back his 70 years that belonged to him through a captivity. God is going to get it either way. Trust him and do what he says, and he will bless you. If not, careful, God's going to get it anyway. All right, moving on. So we, we have noticed the year of Jubilee is accomplished on the Day of Atonement. Now, this is the part we're starting to get into new stuff. The rest of that stuff we talked about last week, but I want you to understand that this is about the land, that it belongs to God, and God will provide that we are just uh, sojourners, we're strangers, we're just passing through, it doesn't belong to us. Okay, now, on this special year, this year of jubilee where everything is given back to its original owner where god clears all debts where everything is brought back to the way it was originally meant to be it happens on the day of atonement now i think that's important it doesn't happen on january 1st and i say that january 1st that's not the hebrew first day of the year but on the first it doesn't happen on the first day of the year it happens because everything in this world is hinged on the day of atonement everything and we'll get back to that in a second but notice here uh, the land returns we just talked about that if you owned a piece of land and you sold it on the 50th year the land returns notice this next part the people return because many times you were sold into slavery into servanthood on the year of jubilee you were freed and you return home. Now, I, as a believer and as somebody who we've been doing this for a while now, listening to these pictures that God puts in his word, when God tells you that he frees you, that ought to perk up your ear. Amen? He frees us. And we'll look at that in a minute. But also, this pictures the Lord's return. Because that means everything is put back to the way it's supposed to be. All the different heritages belong to who it's supposed to belong to. Notice something here, though. This is cool. Every one of them is with the sound of a trumpet. Now, again, for those of you who have been Christians for a while, that should perk your interest. Because God tells us a couple of things that are going to happen at the sound of a trumpet, doesn't he? Okay, you see the picture here. God is not just arbitrarily saying, yeah, blow a trumpet on this day of Jubilee. That's a good idea. Why don't we just do that? Yeah, 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 blow a trumpet. This is a plan that he has had forever. And every time we see this trumpet blow, it is picturing this. Now, here's a couple of verses. I wrote them up here so we didn't have to flip in the scriptures here. Isaiah, and it shall come to pass that when the day, in that day, you guys who study Revelation, when you see that, that's talking about the day of the Lord when he returns. That day, the great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria, the outcast in the land of Egypt, and they shall worship the Lord in the holy mount of Israel. Someday, the year of Jubilee will come and all of God's people will return to their rightful possession when that trumpet blows. You see what God's doing here? Next verse. Everything goes back to its original owner. First Thessalonians, guys, for Christian. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a, 
voice of the archangel with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Remember when I said all this stuff hinges on the day of atonement, and I broke the word down there, at one mint. That's what we remember when God's people get to be together with the Lord. And it's all signed in with a trumpet. A trumpet sounds, the land gets given back. A trumpet sounds, the people go back to the land. A trumpet sounds, and the Lord comes and joins his people in the land. That's what this picture is. This is amazing stuff to me, all right? So, all that God is doing is based upon the Day of Atonement when Christ gained salvation for us. All of history hinges around what the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament points to that, and then our salvation and our guarantee of our spiritual walk and eternal life is hinged there. That's why this day of Jubilee, okay, this year of Jubilee happens on that day of atonement. Not some arbitrary day anywhere else, specifically on that day because God's trying to picture. So, hold on to that thought because this all is all building on each other. Next part. He said he will proclaim liberty. If you look here in the chapter, look what it says in verse 10. And thou shalt hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee unto you. And every man will return to his possessions. He promises freedom on the year of jubilee. Now, there's a lot of verses in the scripture, and we thank the Lord, and today we are remembering on this Memorial Day weekend all those who fought for freedom here in our country, okay, and that's, we appreciate it. How many of you appreciate that? Okay, every day you and I get the benefit of people who have fought for our freedom. Well, this year of Jubilee is focused around the liberty, the freedom that you and I get through Jesus Christ because of what he did on the Day of Atonement. Now, with that in mind... That is why the land goes back to everybody who it belongs to. That is why the prisoners, uh, not prisoners, excuse me, slaves, servants are freed to go home to their families because this is a liberty that has been purchased, been guaranteed, been promised. Now, are you free from sin? (laughs) Good. Some of you got that trick question right away. Okay. We're not. Sin has a hold of us every day, doesn't it? Now, are we forgiven? Yes. If you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your sin, you are forgiven. But are you free yet? No. And the Bible talks about in Romans that this whole earth, this whole creation, groaneth and travaileth in pain. But someday, hopefully sooner than later, God is going to take care of that. And the liberty, that freedom, will be applied to everything. It will all go back to its original owner. Are we getting a hint here yet? God had made this universe, this earth, in a certain way. And unfortunately, sin corrupted it. And there's been squatters here on this planet for a long time who are living in sin. But soon it will go back to its original owner, which is God himself 
and he's going to take care of, he's going to set at liberty, he's going to deal with all these issues. This is amazing stuff. Now, notice this verse, Isaiah. Now, hopefully this, somebody else said this in the New Testament. I hope this sounds familiar. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings, right, the gospel, good news, unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, liberty to the captives, to open the prisons to them that are bond, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You see what we're talking about? He is referencing this year of Jubilee, when all the captives are free, when all to set at liberty. Does this sound familiar? Because our Lord Jesus Christ said the exact same thing in Luke chapter 4. And there was delivered unto him a book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So Jesus is given the scroll of Isaiah, and he looks specifically for the passage of Scripture that you and I just read. Okay, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news, to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recover sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the ministers and sat down. And his, the eyes of all that were in the synagogue were fastened upon him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. You see this? Jesus on the day of atonement, that picture, what he did on the cross when he conquered sin and death for us and guaranteed us heaven, that's exactly what's happening here in this year of Jubilee. The captives are freed and Jesus, now I, I think I should, we should preach from now on, Dan, like the, the Jews used to. Okay, they'd get up, read the scripture, and then culturally you'd close the book and you sat down. And when you sat down, that's when everybody paid attention. Okay, they didn't stand up behind a pulpit like we do. Okay, and sometimes, and Dan taught this in Sunday school a little bit, uh, sometimes church leaders can get a little big for their britches because they get a bully pulpit and they can just stand behind it. Uh, the Jewish way was kind of nice. They, when they closed the book, they sat down and everybody was like, okay, what are you going to tell us? Now listen to what Jesus said here. He says, this day, acceptable day of the Lord, this acceptable time, he says, Today, because I'm here on this earth, is this scripture fulfilled? Everything that we're looking about in the year of Jubilee, all this thing about setting the captives free, returning the inheritance to those who's born, all hinges on what Jesus Christ did on this earth. And he admits it and says, listen, talk about a, a, a chills going up your spine when you read that. When Jesus closes the book of Isaiah and says, today, this day, is this scripture fulfilled? I'm here to do exactly what God planned. All right, now, next slide. Uh, notice God's remedy for inflation. I just wanted to put this one in there because inflation is a big issue for us now. Uh, notice here, look at verse uh, 14 through 19. I just think this is cool that God just about thinks everything. Well, he does think everything, but we don't always see it. He said, If thou sell unto thy neighbor, or buyest of thy neighbor's hand, ye shall not oppress one another. According to the number of the, uh, 
years after the jubilee shalt thou buy of thy neighbor according to the number of years of the first fruits of the fruits shall ye sell unto thee according to the multitude of years thou shalt increase the price thereof and according to the fewness of years you shall diminish the price thereof according to the number of years of the fruit doth he sell unto thee ye shall not therefore oppress one another but thou shalt fear thy god i am the lord your god wherefore do my statutes keep my my judgments and do them and ye shall dwell in the land of safety in safety and ye shall yield her fruit and she uh, and ye shall eat your fill that dwell therein in safety i love this if you decide to buy somebody's land okay and there's 40 years into the year of jubilee that land is worth something isn't it because you're going to get 40 years out of it if you buy that person's land and there's two years until the year of jubilee you only have it for two years right so you're not going to give them the same price are you because you know in two years it's given back to them how would you like that i still like that idea right i got this car i love it but i need some money i'm going to sell it to you but I know two years later, you're going to have to give it back to me anyway. Okay, this is the idea. You see what God's taking care of here? If you've got lots of years there and it's worth a lot, then pay him a lot. If you only got a couple of years, it's only worth a little, then you don't have to pay him much. Isn't it amazing? God knows more about finances than we do in our own stock market. God had it covered way back then. Just thought that was kind of neat. Next part. It teaches us about redemption. So here's the thing. We're talking about the land going back, being purchased from someone. Now we're going to talk about you and me as servants. Okay, look, if you would, to verse 23 through 28. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. We've been going over that, haven't we? It doesn't belong to us, so you can sell it, but that's okay because it's not yours in the first place. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. This world's not my home, I'm just passing through. And in all the land of your possessions ye shall grant a redemption for the land. If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some possessions, if any of his kin come and... Uh, come to redeem it then he shall redeem that which his brother sold and if a man have none to redeem it and himself be able to redeem it then let him count the years of the sale and restore the overplus unto the man whom he sold it that he may return unto his possession but if he not be able to restore unto him that which he sold and remain in the hand of him that bought it to the year of jubilee and in the jubilee it shall go out and return unto his possession. God teaches us again about being redeemed. Okay? Now again, sometimes we put this into a, a, a Christianese and this whole religious thing. How many of you ever used a coupon? Okay, We love coupons, don't we? What do you do with a coupon? You redeem a coupon. Okay, that silly piece of paper that you cut out of the newspaper or you get offline or you scan on your phone has a worth to it. 
Okay, and you exchange whatever that is for whatever the worth that it represents on that coupon. That is redeeming. Okay, when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ redeeming me, his blood, his sacrifice was more than enough to pay for my sin, to pay for your sin, to pay for everyone's sin. He redeemed us he bought us back he presented his blood to the father and said i know that they're a sinner but the value of this coupon is worth his life that's awesome now that's the what is being taught here now if you sold yourself into servanthood into slavery you had option for somebody to redeem you now i love that because you and i before we're a believer are slaves to sin aren't we we're bound. There's nothing we can do. But somebody can redeem us. And man, if you want to talk about, go back to uh, the book of Ruth and talk about, uh, uh, what do you call it, the kinsman redeemer. And it talks about if you have a family member, listen, you owed $20,000 and you had to set yourself up as a servant for the next 10 years to pay that off. But if a family member realizes and they want to pay that $20,000 off for you, they can do that. They can redeem you. If you worked and all of a sudden you realize i made an extra 20 grand here you could pay your own self off okay god's reteaching again about redemption that there is a way in which you and i can be redeemed that's the point we're trying to make here now we'll go to the next part here i get excited about this okay so forgive me for putting all this groundwork out there but we have to understand with the land, if you sold a piece of land in the 50th year, that piece of land goes back to the family, right? It always goes back to the family. It's always returned to who it belongs. But I want you to think something cool here. Look at this. Verse 29. If a man sell a house in a walled city, then he may redeem it within a whole year after that it's sold, Within a full year, he may redeem it. So you're not talking about land. You're talking about a house inside of a city. Okay, so they had these big walled cities with, you know, a whole little group of houses. Many of them were attached to the walls of the city. If you owned a house and you had to sell it because of a lack of money, you had one year to redeem it. That was it. But look what it says here. And if it be not redeemed in the space of a full year, then that house that is in the walled city shall be established forever to them that bought it throughout his generations. It shall not go out in the year of Jubilee. Now you go, huh, thanks for that, Lord. That's great information. What are you talking about? Okay, notice something. I, I love this. So if you own a home in a walled city and... It, that thing is established. The year of Jubilee doesn't change any of that. Okay, there's a certain point of redemption, but after that, it goes full-time, 100%. It will never go out. It will always remain. Think of this. I wrote it down here. Christians, we have a, room, we have a home in a world, walled city, don't we? Matt, you just saying it. Where'd Matt go? He's gone. All right. What does it say? I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Okay, what did we just sing? Victory in Jesus. What's the last verse? I heard about a mansion 
He is built for me in glory. Catch this. You think God is just messing around. He knows everything that he's saying. He says, listen, if you've got a dwelling place in a city, it doesn't matter. From that point on, it is guaranteed forever. You and I, now that verse, Kim, I'm sorry, she went back for me. Revelation, John saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Later in that chapter, and the walls of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the apostles of the Lamb. You and I have our home guaranteed forever in a walled city, and it will never change. It is guaranteed forever. Man, I love that. I don't know about you, that sends goosebumps up. Goosebumps? I don't know what goosebumps are. Okay. You and I have a guaranteed home forever. It will never change. Why? Because it's in the walls of a city. Okay, the rest of the time we're talking about land outside the city. That can change hands back and forth. But it's guaranteed. Gets better. Next slide. The priests had a special privilege. And we could read this if you want together, but guys, what are we studying here? This is Leviticus, the, books, the book of the priesthood. Who are priests? We're priests, right? Revelation tells us he has made us to be kings and priests. You want to know something about uh, the priests? The priests' uh, heritage is always guaranteed. It never goes away. As a matter of fact, let's read these verses together, 32 through 34. Now, notwithstanding the cities of the Levites, right, they didn't have any land given to them. Isn't that interesting? You ever think of that? That all the tribes had land that could be sold and could be bought, could be traded, all that stuff. But God's priests weren't given land. They only had dwellings in certain cities where... It's guaranteed forever, never to change. Keep that in your mind. Look at, keep going. Um, uh, the houses of the cities of their possession may the Levites redeem at any time. If a man purchase the Levites, the house was sold. The city of its possession shall go out in the year of Jubilee for the city of the Levites and their possessions among the children of Israel. But the fields of the suburbs of the city may not be sold, for it is a perpet- perpetual possession. God says, okay, all this different land, all this stuff that you, know, you can sell and use, it all belongs to me, but I got something special for my priests. My priests, that, these law, rules don't apply. There's a perpetual, everlasting dwelling that will always be available for the priests. Now, I love this stuff, guys. I don't know about you. This world, I'm just passing through it belongs to the Lord. But you know what? I've got a walled city someday that i've been guaranteed that i'm going to spend eternity in and it's perpetual it's never going to change why because i'm one of his priests and you're one of his priests keep going look here now let's talk about something tough and we'll end with this bond slaves or bond servants and servants um this is going to be tough i want you to bear with me though and when we handle this because there are things in the scripture here that lead certain people to teach differently here because they don't understand the picture. Okay, a bond servant was bound forever. 
Okay, you could be a servant, but if you became a bond servant, that means you committed to your Lord, your master forever. So in the year of Jubilee, what are we talking about? He frees the servants. People are set free. But if you are a bond slave, a bond servant, you're not set free. You are completely 100% that person's possession forever. You with me? You belong to them forever. Right? Please, stick with me. The servant could be freed. If you said, okay, I owe you, uh, to, to, you know, a certain amount of money. I want to work for you for five years. Do we agree? Yes. At the end of five years, my debt is paid. I'm free. At the end, on the seventh year, okay, on the year of Jubilee, all the servants were freed. Not the bond servant. The bond servant was forever. That year of Jubilee didn't matter. You were forever that person's servant. Now, with that in mind, let's go to the next thing. Verse 39 and 40 says, If thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto thee, thou mayest not compel him to serve as a bond servant. God's people could not become a bond servant, a bond slave to someone else in, in, the, in Israel. You could not become a servant forever to someone else. All right, you with me? So you could agree to a certain period, but you always had the option to be redeemed or freed in Jubilee. Yes? Okay, you could not be committed 100% to that person forever. But as a hired servant, and as a sojourner shall he be with thee and serve thee unto the year of Jubilee. Couldn't be a bond servant, a bond slave, but a regular servant they could be. Notice this next section here. The stranger can be a bond servant. Okay? Moreover, of the children of the strangers that do journey among you, of them shall ye buy and their families that are with you, which you begotten the land, they shall be your possession. And ye shall take them as an inheritance for their children after you to inherit them for a possession. They shall be your bondmen forever, but over your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another with rigor. Next slide. This sounds a lot like God supports slavery, doesn't he? Oh yeah, the children of Israel, they can become your servants, your possession, your bond servants forever, but those who are strangers among you, you can buy and sell them as much as you want. Now, this is where I wanted to stop and park here for a, very, for a minute because that is not what the Bible is teaching. But there are some who will take this and say, oh, you see, so we, the children of Israel, we can't be bond slaves to each other, but if it's a stranger from another country, we can. We can sell forever whoever we want. Understand, there's a, a deep doctrinal picture that God is pointing for us here. This has not anything to do, if you're from Africa, you're a stranger, so I can have you as a slave. Okay, that is not the teaching here. Okay, please bear with me. What it says right here, no, he does not. It is about who you are bound to. Now, here's the key to this. This has little to do 
with where your ethnicity is. This has to do with who you are eternally bought by. Who is your Lord and Master? Look at this verse. What does it say with me, guys? For they, this is the children of Israel, they are my servants which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They should not be sold as bondmen. You know why you couldn't have a child of God, one of God's people, as a bondservant? Because they're already a bondservant to somebody else. Who were they a bondservant to? God himself. See, that is why. The, children, the strangers, they had their bonds belong somewhere else. I don't know who they've sold themselves to. But the teaching here is not that this gives permission for the Jews to go out and have strangers as slaves. This has been misinterpreted down through the centuries. The issue here is if somebody is already sold forever to someone else, you can't own them. So, we talk from the very beginning, guys. This is why I tried to set this up with the introduction. That who owns you? I guess I don't own that mic anymore. Who owns you? The Lord. If you belong 100%, every part of you, your life, your money, your possessions, your health, everything, if it all belongs to God, can someone else own you? Do you get the point? You couldn't be a bond slave if you're a child of God because you're already bound to someone else. That's the idea. Somebody who's out in this world who doesn't have Jehovah God as their Lord and Master... They can be bond slaves because they're not bound to anybody. That's the picture here. This is not a permission for somebody to own different families. And that's, again, culturally, that's the climate here. But we're talking about don't eat lobsters, don't eat shellfish, don't eat... God just set a lot of rules to point an important picture for us. The important picture here is you can't be a bond slave to someone else if you're a bond slave to God first. So my question that I want to end with, okay, well, I got this other slide. God's people are already bond slaves. Here's the ending verse of this chapter. For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That's the issue. Now the question I want to end with. It always goes back to his original owner, who is your Lord? Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to faith, if you're a stranger and a sojourner and you don't have the Lord as your master, then maybe I recommend you take care of that as soon as you can. For those of us who are bought with a price, for those of us who are one of God's and we belong to Him 100%, have you bond-slaved yourself out to somebody else? You want to know why uh, God tells us in the Bible, uh, don't be a borrower or a lender? 
Not because he hates banks. Because when you bond yourself to somebody else, then you have to do what they're told. Dan hit this very point in Sunday school. The problem often is when we get ourselves committed to someone else or something else, we can't serve our real master 100%. So here's a couple things I want to end with today, guys. Number one, God in the year of Jubilee, when he comes back, when that trumpet sounds and all the land is returned, all the people are returned, all the Lord returns, when that trumpet sounds, what a great day that's going to be. And even though this world might be crazy and we have got ourselves pulled in 30 different directions and we don't know who owns what and who owes us what, in the big picture, we have an inheritance coming that is guaranteed. Mine, hallelujah, isn't in the promised land where God promised it to the children of Israel. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a child of God. I don't worry about the land. I have a walled city. A city that's eternal in heaven that never goes out. It is always 100% a perpetual inheritance. You happy about that? Well, the last question is, number one, have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Remember, this is based upon the Day of Atonement. Have you been freed? I have. Now, am I still bound with sin? Is sin still affecting me? Absolutely every single day. Someday in the year of Jubilee, God will take care of all of it. And it all goes back to its original state, its original design. What was that original design? Adam and Eve before sin? Man, think about that. It's awesome. And then the question to really ask in this world where it is so easy to have our devotion spread in all kinds of different directions. You realize if you're a believer, if you've asked Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a bond slave to Christ. You don't have your own will anymore, your own desires anymore. We're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Don't try to slave yourself out to somebody else because you... Nothing about you is yours. Okay, one thought, and this just popped in my head. You, you ever have something that somebody lets you borrow, and then someone else comes up to you and says, can I borrow that? What do you do? Man, this thing's clicking all. What do you do? You say, uh, I'm sorry, I can't let you borrow this. You're going to have to go talk to so-and-so who let me borrow it. And if they say it's okay that you borrow it, it's fine. It's not mine to give away because it doesn't belong to me. Think about that when we're talking about being bond to, as servants to Christ. If our life and all these other things don't belong to us, they're 100% His. And we ought to be doing what He says. And we ought to be very careful on when, who we let our life out to be used by somebody else. That's why the Jews could never be bond slaves because they were already 100% owned by God. And you and I are the same way. We're bought with a price. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.